0: Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Margarita Franco.
1: Chabela had her own special greeting for me. Hey, puta! Yeah, you little puta with your dog shaking your ass.
0: That and more. But first... Folks, you know those little shorter stories that you often hear on Risk, the ones that last about four minutes or so and focus on basically one incident? We had some great ones on our recent Scary Stories episode, like the one where Ryan Estrada set himself on fire when he was a kid, or Ann Askins had the nightmare about stabbing a cat. We call them anecdotes, and you can pitch them to us at risk-show.com slash anecdotes. Maybe the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you in public, or the most hilarious uh, misunderstanding you've ever had. Maybe a time you experienced an insane coincidence, or had an amazing stroke of luck. Everyone loves a super short story, so send them to us at risk-show.com slash anecdotes. He'll be right
2: back.
3: For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today.
0: Now here's the show. Hello, kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Corey Wong behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode Blood Relations. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Margarita Franco, a story that brought tears to my eyes when I first heard it. You can find her on Instagram at MargaritaFranco. But before that, a story by David Beck. I mentioned up top how we love when Risk listeners send us these shorter anecdotes, and David's is a perfect example. Phenomenal. But before both of them, you're going to hear a story that was recorded at the Artichoke show up in Beacon, New York. I'll be telling a story at the Artichoke on January 21st. This one was told by John Kelly, who's based up there in Beacon. And it's a story we call... 23 and you
4: Divorce is hard (laughs) Um, In case you didn't know It just, it's a difficult thing And I think More so for my children Than for their mother and myself. I have four children, and uh, my eldest daughter, Nicole, she was 15, I guess, or 16 at the time, and she was mad at me, and completely understandable. She was not happy that I was leaving. And I wasn't really happy about that either, but she, at that time, did not want to forgive me, and she really wanted nothing to do with me while she was in the few years left in high school when I would go up to see her younger siblings and pick them up she would like not be available and she would hide and there was one time I went to pick up the girls and she was coming home with her mother and her friend and she hid in the back seat I saw her duck down in the car seat because she just would not talk you know she went through what she needed to go through and um, then she went on to college and she ended up in uh, Albany. I was working in the city and living in the city and they lived up in Tivoli and she was at Albany and um, I would go up a couple times a month and take her to dinner and it was always like a cheeseburger french fries and a beer. And so we would sit and not talk and we'd eat our hamburgers and then uh, I would drive her back to school and then I would go back to the city and this went on for probably a year or maybe a little bit longer. And then finally, I was just like, I I can't do this anymore, you know? I I just can't do this, you know? I need something from you, and um, you're not able to do that now, and I understand that, but I just can't do it. So I stopped and just let her be. And um, she finished college, and then she needed a job. She had a degree in human health, I think it was, And working at the Y, I knew people that were at Mount Sinai Hospital, and I heard about an opening there. And so I was like, my daughter would like to get a job interview. And I'm not saying that she got the job because of me, but she did get the job, which brought her into the Upper East Side which was just 10 blocks from me, and I moved her and got her there, and she started showing up for that job, and we slowly started to rebuild our relationship. And it was it was good. It was healthy, and it was the right thing for all the right reasons, and, you know, this was all good. She ended up working in genetics, and um, she was very geeky like that. And we would then have things to talk about when we would have our cheeseburger, fries, and a beer. And... <laughs> She would geek out, you know, and she'd just be like, "Wouldn't it be so cool if, like, you get a DNA test and I'll get a DNA test, and then we can like, like compare them?" And I was like, um, "Yeah, I guess that would be cool." And she kept talking about this when we would have dinner. And I was like, okay, if you'd like me to do that, I will do that. But in New York at the time, you were not allowed to do it. So I had to do a spit thing, and then I had to drive to New Jersey to mail it because you weren't allowed to do it. And she had been now working a couple years in genetics, and she was like, don't open the file. Just don't open the file. You could be concerned about some of the stuff you'll see in the file and there's a lot of health things in the file, and maybe you won't quite understand what are in the file, so don't open the file without me, and if you'd like, we can sit with a geneticist here at the a hospital, you know, at the school, and we can go over it with a geneticist, and I was like, well, whatever, you know, it's like, what is it gonna tell me? I should lose a few pounds to stop smoking? Probably, and, um, or tell me why I do that, so, Life goes on and we're just doing our thing and and the uh file comes in you know, an email to me and I'm like, Oh shit, it's here. So I'm like, oh, I should call Nicole. And it's like no, I should open the file. <laughs> so I double clicked on the file and opened it, and it was like all this like your ear wax is probably wet. I'm like yes it is, actually. That's fascinating. And then you know, like the weirdest weirdest of things. But the whole time I'm looking at it, my daughter's voices in my head, you know, don't open the file without me. So I keep going through and then I go through the medical stuff. And it's like, oh, well, that was a no-brainer. I knew all those things about myself. I am not a sprinter, okay? (laughs) Um, And then the last one was family, relatives. And I click on that and I see I'm related to like all these people that I have no idea who they are. You're 2% for this and 5% there and 10% there. And Nicole's not there so I'm like is this why I was not supposed to open the file because this is pretty fucked up at the moment and so I was overthinking it which um, I'm very good at and so I did call her the next day and I said "Um, hey the file came and she's like oh great well we should get together and I was like yeah we, we should get together and she was like you opened it <laughs> and I'm like yeah I opened it and she was like I told you not to open it that's like well I opened it and um, so she said well let's talk about it we could have dinner tomorrow and I'm like um, okay we'll have dinner tomorrow we can talk about the file we can talk about the stuff and I'm like okay so then we hang up the phone we decide we're gonna have dinner tomorrow I couldn't do it I had to call her back and I was like okay here's the problem I looked under the family thing, you're not there, you know? And it was killing me because I was just like, you know, this is my daughter. This, I love this child. And all this stuff is banging around in my head. And I was just, uh, you're not there. And, uh, and she was like, what? And she hung up the phone and then she called me back and she's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. And I said, well, we'll, we'll talk tomorrow at dinner. So she's like, okay. So the next night, I didn't sleep again. And I was just thinking of ways of maybe, how much does it cost to kill a person? I don't know. You know, I really, I don't know. I know industrial accidents happen in the theater all the time. So, but I, you know, I just don't know those things. And um, so we were getting closer to dinner time. And she called me back. And she was like, "Um, check your file again. And I checked it. And she was there. And she's like, I didn't know that I was supposed to click a button that allowed me to share my information with the other people. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? You're like, you fucking work in genetics. It's like, oh my God, I was gonna have your mother killed. And I was just like, Jesus Christ. So we went to have dinner. I felt much better, by the way. And I mean, The child looks just like me, except she's pretty. (laughs) So I was like, okay, we're gonna have dinner now. This is really great, we're gonna have dinner. So we go to have dinner, and you know, I order a cheeseburger and fries and a beer. And then she orders like a steak, and sauteed vegetables, and a baked potato, and a salad, and a seltzer water with lime. And I'm like, "Mm, you're hungry. And she's like, well I'm eating for two and I found out the reason she wanted to have dinner that I was going to be a grandfather and that grandbaby is my baby thank you
3: We're back.
5: With the whole monkeypox vaccine thing, I'm reminded of a story that takes place on September 11th, 2001. I'm a freshman in college. I had just moved to New York the week before, and that morning I hop out of the shower in my dorm on the Upper East Side. I'm getting ready to go to my honors script analysis class when my roommate and RA, lucky me, bursts in the room. Do you know what's happening in the world? He asks me. Um, no, what? Airplanes just hit the World Trade Center. The world is falling apart. Oh, shit. So I immediately turn on the radio because we don't have a TV. And this woman's voice on the radio says, give blood. If you want to help. Give blood. New York needs blood. So my Catholic guilt compels me to just run to the nearest hospital and wait to donate my blood. Cell phones aren't working that day, and I can't get a hold of anyone, including my mother, who is in Ohio and is, I'm sure, freaking out at this moment. I don't tell anyone where I'm going, I just go. This is part of my I am an island approach to life. So I'm waiting in line with hundreds of other New Yorkers waiting to give blood on this gorgeous September day that seems way too sunny and serene for the tragic events just a few miles south. At one point, someone tries to cut the line, because at this point we'd been waiting hours, and a verbal assault erupts and then it seems like a fist fight is going to erupt and this little old lady who must be in her 70s she kind of came between it and she said stop please remember what we're trying to do here we're trying to do a bit of good in the midst of this tragedy we're all here for the same reason we are all going to give our blood remember and i love that and i talked to this lady For a little bit and it turns out that she had moved to New York when she was 18 from Minnesota and I'm 18 and I had just moved to New York from Ohio. So Midwest babies. I think in that moment I fell in love with the idea of being a New Yorker and with the whole city of New York. So when I finally reach inside the hospital I'm brought to a waiting room where I'm interviewed by what I think is a nurse. He kind of reminds me of Tim Allen from Home Improvement, remember that show? Except he's not funny. I mean, if you think Tim Allen is funny. But he asks me a series of questions. Have you ever taken any intravenous drugs? No. Do you have diabetes? No. Do you have high blood pressure? No. And then it comes. Have you ever had sexual intercourse with another man? Whoa, I didn't see that coming. Okay, now the truth at this point. It's buried deep, deep in the closet. In fact, I have my prospects set on my friend from Beaumont, Texas that weekend. And when my mother actually meets her, she refers to, still to this day, as Miss Texas... (laughs) She's that gorgeous. And uh, we get drunk together and we fool around, but Miss Texas always wonders why I never consummate the relationship. Hmm, I wonder why. Well, today, on September 11th, this day of empathy and raw despair, I feel like to lie to this nurse about to draw my blood would be an act of betrayal somehow. So I reply... Yes. You've had intercourse with a man? And his eyebrows arch, and he kind of squints. Within the past year? Yes. Were you the giver or the recipient? What is this? Is this nurse trying to suss me out for a date? (laughs) I mean, the question, in essence, are you a top or a bottom? It It made my whole body shake. I didn't even know at that point. I mean, I was not expecting this blood drawer to slice open the copious buckets of shame swimming underneath my skin. Um, or were you both? Yeah, both. (sighs) A moment of relief, and there's a tiny step out of the shadows. But I'm soon catapulted back in when he says, Well, your blood is no good here. We're not supposed to take active homosexual blood. But seeing as you waited in line all day, we'll take it anyway. Oh, okay. Uh, But but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And then he's off. I can't even utter that word. That word I can't utter. I'm not. It's too late. So by the time the nurse takes my blood, the same nurse, Tim Allen, President Bush appears on the TV, and he gives his sad little speech to this anxious and confused closet case American. And the nurse squeezes the blood from my veins, compressing my whole Ohio youth into a sterilized plastic tube. Drip, drip, drip. And then he's off with it. My contaminated blood. My diseased blood that not even a dying person would want. Ah, well. It doesn't matter. After this, I'm a New Yorker.
1: Poco Way is a street on the east side of San Jose, and in the 70s, it was considered one of the most dangerous places to live. Now, luckily, we didn't know that when we moved there. It was just where the welfare office sent us. We included my mom, my dad, my five brothers, and our boxer dog, Duke. We had moved from a a middle-class suburb in uh, Orlando, Florida, really because we ran out of money. You know, my dad was having a hard time keeping work, my mom was dating a lot, <laughs> and um, we were struggling in school, and um, frankly, Florida doesn't have a lot of love towards Mexicans, at least not in the 70s, and um, we just weren't feeling it. So anyway, fast forward, we're cruising down Poca in our 1966 Dodge Charger painted a periwinkle hue, and we're all stuffed in there we've got our little U-haul attached to it behind us with all our belongings and we pull up Pokeway and Pokeway is low-income apartments section 8 apartments some of the windows are broken they're covered with plywood and cardboard and we see all these guys on the street right and they're like hovering under the popped hoods of cars and and there's tools all over the street or the sidewalk and I remember thinking as I looked out the window like, why would they even work on these dumpy cars? And now I realize those cars were badass. They were 1964 Chevy Impalas, Eldorados, Cutlass Supremes, a couple of Toyota pickup trucks in there, a 1966 Ford Falcon. These guys were just cheering them out, man. And I didn't know because I was a kid, right? So anyway, we pull up my brothers and I spill out onto the sidewalk and we're wearing our Orlando, Florida beach attire. You know, puka shells, Hawaiian shirts, bell bottoms. And all these guys stop working on their cars and they're just looking at us. And we're looking at them, too, and they're like, they're wearing like white tank tops, you know, and they're all tatted up with these bulging triceps, and they've got like cut off khakis, and they're staring at us, and we're staring at them, and I'm not going to lie, we looked like the Mexican Brady Bunch. (laughs) But they looked foreign to us, too, because even though we were Mexican-American, we didn't know very much about our culture, right? It was the 70s, and we just didn't know. We had never seen Chicanos before. We just didn't know. So they're looking at us, and we're looking at them, and it's kind of like, Do you look familiar, but not really, but kind of. And then this turns into sort of attention, right? And then sort of gravitates to like this primal standoff. And my mom senses the fear in us. And she's unloading the um, U-Haul, and she's got all these hangers in her hands. And she comes over and she plants herself in between these guys and us. And she's got these hangers, and she starts yelling in Spanish, and she's saying stuff. And it looks like she has nunchucks, but they're just hangers. (laughs) These guys, they're all like looking at her, and then they start to scatter. And and then they're saying like, "Mira qué loca la lady, no, no voy a meter con eso." I'm not going to mess with her, man. She's crazy. And so they scatter off and go back to working on their cars. And, you know, I just rolled my eyes because I, I, I didn't care what my mother did. I hated my mother. I was 12 years old going on 16. I was rebelling hard. You know, I was mad that we were moving all the time. I was mad that she was dating all the time. <laughs> and in her defense, though, she had had a rough life, right? She, she was from Mexico. She was left in an orphanage while my velita, my grandma, came across the border, and then my grandma went back to get her and brought over with my uncle. So she was tough. And at five feet, two inches, she exuded this, how shall I say, like, this batshit crazy lady aura <laughs> that scared even the scariest people. And Poco was scary, you know? It was kind of scary. I mean, we were living in a gang neighborhood, and... Um, so anyway, I would walk Duke every day, our boxer, right? Because I was kind of freaked out, and I would just take him with me, and I thought that he would protect me because he had this barrel chest and smashed in nose, and, and I just thought he, you know, looked tough, but really the only protection he offered was drool. <laughs> That's it. So um, every day there was this girl who stood across the street, and she was older than me, and she wore these tiny little cut-off shorts and a tube top and she stood out there every day. I gathered that her name was Chavela because these guys would pull up in their cars and they'd slow down and they'd go, orale, Chavela, que pasa? And then she would give them the middle finger. <clears throat> <laughs> I would have been really happy to receive the middle finger from Chavela, but Chabela had her own special greeting for me. Hey, puta! Yeah, you little puta with your dog shaking your ass, huh? Think you're hot shit, don't you, little puta? And I was like, oh, my God. How old is she? She looks 25. I'm 12, okay? And so I put my head down, and I just keep walking with Duke, like, just drool along, Duke, come on. And I'm walking back, and I think, every time I see her, I swear I'm sweating through my clothes, because I'm just dreading walking up Poco Way. And so I go back to the, the back courtyard, which is where we have our apartment. And this neighbor comes up to me, this lady, and she says, um, why does Chabela hate you so much? And before I can say anything, my mom sticks her head out our apartment door and says, what? Who hates who? What are you talking about? And then the lady goes into, yeah, the neighbor, Chabela, she hates Marchie. Yeah, she's always telling her to, to pull her pants up or put her pants on algo así, I don't know. And then she hates Duke, too. She doesn't like Duke. And she's always telling her that she's a little puta. And so my mom is, like, staring at her and then looking at me to confirm. And then I see that batshit crazy look. Right? <laughs> it's, it's coming. <laughs> And my mom shakes her head and she's like, no, 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 no. Not my daughter. And she starts marching through the courtyard, and this muttering turns into a crescendo, and she's saying in Spanish, No, senor, no vas a hacer eso a mi niña, to my daughter. You're not going to do that. And all the neighbors now hear the commotion, and they're now standing on their porches to see what's going on. And the upstairs neighbors are opening their windows, and they're sticking their heads out. And my mom is marching over there, and then I hear somebody say, Get her, Mrs. Blanco! only lived here a week how do they know how do they know her name and, and so my mom goes right up to the end of the curb on our side of Hokaway and she puts her hands on her hips and she goes hey she gives her like that Danny Trejo stare right and she's like hey puta with the little tube top and your ass hanging out and Chavela, you know, she saw my mom coming. She just looked a little surprised. Like, who the fuck is this crazy lady? But she was, she was caught off guard and she sees my mom and she stares at her. And then she goes, she gives her the middle finger and my mom just charges across the street and grabs Chavela by the neck and pulls her face up to her own. And she goes, in spanglish, she says, you have a problem con mi niña with my daughter, huh? She's 12. How old are you? What are you doing picking on a kid, huh? And Chavela, she's trying to struggle free from my mom. And oh, now all the neighbors are yelling and they're screaming like, hit her! And <laughs> I'm like, oh my God! What is going on? And I'm thinking, stop, stop, please do not hit my mother, please. And, and I can't believe that my mom is actually fighting for me either. And, and so, Chavela is like trying to to break free from my mom's clutches, but my mom has like a vice grip on her. And then Chavela is still trying to to break free, and she says she just walks around here with that stupid dog shaking her ass, and my mom headlocks her like really professional. And I'm like, <laughs> and the neighbors are going wild at the headlock move because it's like now it's an MMA event, right? So. Chavela's still trying to break free, but my mom's really got her good because she's good, my mom. And, and then all of a sudden I see in Chavela, like all the bravado draining from her face and her body goes kind of limp. And, and then Chavela, she does the most baffling thing. She starts to cry and she says to my mother loud enough for all of us to hear, She says, I got nobody, man. I'm out here alone, and I hate myself, okay? And my mom lets her go, and all the neighbors are quiet, and my mom is looking at her, and and for just a second, I feel like my mom is looking at her like she recognizes that feeling, and my mom has a little bit of tenderness toward her, and I'm still across the street going like, what is going on here? And Chavela is quietly crying and my mom puts her hand up and Chavela like puts her hand up because she thinks my mom's going to hit her. And she's still sobbing and wiping snot from her nose. And then my mom goes to hug her. And my mom says, hijita, you're not ugly, baby. You're beautiful. It's okay. You're going to be okay. And Chavela sobs and just falls into my mom's arms. And my mom is rocking her and stroking her hair. And the neighbors are all clapping. <laughs> and the neighbors are crying. And I'm just standing there going, what is going on? And then my mom, she lets her go. And she gives Chavela a reassuring look, you know, like, you're going to be okay. And then my mom turns around and she sees all the neighbors watching, and she loves it. <laughs> she loves this minute. She's on stage, and she's eating it up. And she walks across the street really daintily, and she's like waving to everybody. <laughs> and she can't believe this is all happening because of her. And as she walks past me, she slows down, and she says, she won't bug you anymore. And she doesn't, ever, ever. I'll never forget that day because it was the first time I felt important to my mother. And I felt like, I don't know, It just, I didn't think she would ever fight for me like that. We only stayed on Way for like eight more months. But for eight months, man, we had major street cred. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody was gonna mess with us. My mom owned that street. She was the queen of Poco Way, and that's for you, Mom. I love you. Te quiero mucho.
0: So well, that is almost all for this week's episode, folks. This is Los Lobos behind me now. And we just heard from Margarita Franco at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles a couple months ago, preceded by a song, a bit of a song by Bonnie Vare, and that story by David Beck called Active Homosexual Blood, you know, on 9-11. I was 12 blocks away from the towers, and I got swept up in all that chaos downtown, and somehow everyone knew that thousands of critically injured people were being rushed to St. Vincent's. And so lots of people I was talking to, evacuating up that ways wanted to go there to give blood and I was with my co-worker, Michael, who was also gay. And I said, do you think we should even try? Do you think they'd take our blood in this instance? And he said, no, I really don't think they would. One of the reasons I've never told the story of how that morning went down for me is because there were so many surreal sad, scary, and actually beautiful moments. It's really it's really hard to put them all together. You know, to make some sort of overall emotional sense out of them. But then I think that's actually kind of a micro version of life itself. <laughs> Anyway, uh, you can find David Beck on TikTok at David Beck NYC and check that out because he's fundraising for his first feature film called Regarding Veronica. It's an LGBTQ social impact drama, which is filming next year. And before David, you heard a little interstitial by the one and only Lizzo, which was edited by our own Hope Brush. We'll be right back. We're back. Folks, if you've never taken a good look at our website at risk-show.com, there's so much there. You can use the search function to look up keywords for stories you might be looking for and see the tables of contents of all the episodes. You can watch short video tutorials on how to prep a good story to pitch for us. You can find all the episodes in our various series, like the Scary Story series, or Black Lives, or The Best of Risk, and so on. You can learn more about our staff, our shop, and our live shows, and more at risk-show.com. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk.
6: That's another pointless year. for a showdown in this corner from san jose california weighing in at a hundred pounds it's Chavela.
1: hey puta yeah you little puta with your dog shaking your ass huh think you're hot shit don't you little puta
6: and in this corner mrs
1: Hey, puta, with the little tube top and your ass hanging out. You have a problem con mi niña with my daughter, huh? She just walks around here with that stupid dog shaking her ass. No, señor, no vas a hacer eso a mi niña. To my daughter, you're not going to do that. She gives her the middle finger and my mom just charges across the street and grabs Chabela by the neck and pulls her face up to her own and she headlocks her like really professional and the neighbors are going wild at the headlock move and Chavela, she's trying to struggle free from my mom, oh now all the neighbors are yelling and they're screaming like get her Mrs. Blanco and Chavela, like all the bravado draining from her face and her body goes kind of limp and she starts to cry and my mom says hijita it's okay, you're gonna be okay oh.
4: Oh, that's so sweet.